I mentioned that starting last night, we would sort of have a theme for the rest of the week. And that theme is trust God. Trust God. And so we laid the foundation, hopefully, last night. And so tonight, what we want to see and what we want to think about together is trust God with your home. And the idea of this week is going to be listen to. If you want, that's what we promote. That's what we believe in. That's what we know to be the right way. Or you can do things the world's way. One or the other. But trust God. I had to emphasize in these lessons. Let me go ahead and mention tomorrow night. We'll, we'll be Wednesday night, and that's we all have our places to be. But what we're going to talk about tomorrow night is truth sounds strange. I hope that uh, all who can can be with us then. And so trust God with your home. You think about our home. I, I talk to a lot of teachers, and you think about our school system, and you think about the issues that are there. I tell you what, my my theory about that is, well, the teachers are inheriting broken homes. The teachers are having a lot of their problems because of the homes or the lack of homes their students are coming out of. And it's really our society is a reflection of a lot of things, but one of which would be homes that just are not what God would have them to be. Even among those who, who are not Christians, but used to, even those not professing to be Christians, were still influenced by God's standard of the home. Now we are not seeing that, and we're seeing the fruit of it. But we need to trust God about that. Trust God that His way is best. So let's think about this. Think about the, the first home, the very first home. I, I appreciate the fact that God established that. Now that was His idea. That Adam says it's not good for, for man to be alone. Created the woman for him. He started the, the first home. We read in, in verse 18 that I will make him a helper comparable or comparable to him. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, we, we make that a very idyllic setting, and I think rightfully so. They're in the Garden of Eden. What better place? Uh, Tom and I were talking about um, Tennessee, and I've, I've recently moved to Tennessee. I really love the beauty of Tennessee and the, the hills and the mountains and all of that. But none of, none of this can, surely can compare to the Garden of Eden. So here they are, perfect setting. You know, you think about where would you want to live? How about the Garden, the Garden of Eden? But, you know, it, it wasn't really too long that man messed it up. It was just ruined by man. Now, you know the story, how that Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the serpent comes along, and he is talking to Eve, talking to the woman. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children, your desire... Um, That is, uh, okay, I thought, I've, I've gotten a little paranoid because last night my slides were skipping ahead. So, so anyway, I got a little paranoid. I had to stop and look at that again. And so when God is talking with, with 
Adam, with Eve, and with the, with the serpent. He said, here's the consequences for your sin. And so as, as he's going and talking with each one, he says to the woman, he said, now here, here's what's going to be. He said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow, your conception, and in pain you shall bring forth children. I don't know what the original plan was. I, I don't know how much easier it would have been for a woman to have a baby. For instance, I know the plan was to be fruitful and multiply, but I don't know what the plan was. But I do know how it is now. And I know you women look at us men like, really, y'all think y'all know what pain is? Have you had a baby? Yeah. Nope. Haven't done that. Although I'm told kidney stones are the next best thing. But whatever that was, the consequence for the woman was increased pain. Your desire should be for your husband. He shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And so man had the perfect setting, and he ruined it. Well, what do you think the problem was? Now, what, what was really at the heart of the issue? The way he was sinned. Well, that was right. Uh, sin was. But why did they sin? I really think the answer, the real issue was trust. was trust. Who did they trust? Because God has said one thing. Serpent, Satan comes along and says something else. Who are you going to believe? Well, unfortunately, a lot of people... And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll fall into this trap. We're not, we're not believing God. We're listening more to something else, somebody else. And so is it God or Satan? And that was the clear choice for Eve and, and for Adam. Who are you going to trust? And I think the heart of most every issue has been trust. And trust is a key ingredient in faith. What, do you, what is it you have faith in? What is it you trust? Well, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, Now the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the Lord had, had made. He said to the woman, Is it really true that God said, You must not eat from any tree of the orchard? Now when Eve, I don't have this up there, but when Eve repeats that, Oh yeah, that's what God said. In fact, he she embellishes it some. She said, God said, you shall not eat of it nor touch it. Now, it doesn't say not to touch it, but she added that in there. Well, the serpent, he already knew. He already knew that. He says, let me tell you why God does not want you to eat of that tree. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes uh, will open and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. And, and really, the choice hasn't changed since the beginning. Are you going to believe God or the world or man or Satan, whatever way you want to frame it, anything other than God? Who are we going to listen to? Who do we trust? Well, each of us, I think, need to answer this question for ourselves within our own home. Who do you trust with your home. God has a way. He, he, he has teaching. He has very plain instructions about the home and what the structure of that home 
should be and what should happen within the confines of marriage. And so God, for instance, says that now marriage is the only way for a man and a woman to become one. In other words, sexual relationships outside of marriage, that's not God's way. God said, oh no, let, me, uh, let marriage be held in honor among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And so here's this contrast. Marriage is honorable among all. That's the right way. God said, who you trust. God said, this is the right way. On the other side over here, but fornicators and adulterers, God would judge. Well, who are those people? That's either people not married, having sexual relationships with each other, or people who are married to someone else, having those relationships. One, either way, it's not right. But man comes along and says, oh no, that, no, that's so outdated and so archaic and no, man says, well, you can marry or not marry. That's just up to you. You can live together or not live together. I remember years ago when I first started uh, in the insurance world, I was talking to a young, a young woman. I started to say a young lady, but that might be stretching it, maybe, a young woman. And I was uh, talking about some life insurance and and this was in the late 70s. And so this idea of living together was not socially acceptable at the time. And so I'm writing and I'm asking, you know, the life insurance questions. And then who is your beneficiary? And she tells me who. And that person had a different last name than she did. And I said, well, what's the relationship? And she just kind of flippantly said, well, do you have a place there for shacking? Now, young people don't even probably know what that means, shacking up. That was a slang expression to say you were living with someone, but you were not married. But now it's just almost the norm. Nobody really seems to think much about it. Man says, that's okay. And then man will say, well, you can divorce or not divorce. You, know, that's, you just have to decide that uh, for yourself. I, I remember seeing a billboard. You probably have seen them going down the interstate. Uh, uh, no fault divorce, uh, $199 thing is getting cheaper to get a divorce than to get married. And and so man is saying that, isn't it? And then it's like, well, who are you going to marry? Okay, well, that might be a man and a woman. That's okay, according to the world. It might be a man and a man. Or it might be a woman and a woman. Well, who are you going to believe? Who do you trust is telling you the right way? When it comes to building your home, who do you trust? And I think about that too. Just mention this. When you're deciding who you're going to marry, I'm going to tell you who you're going to marry. All you young people, if you're not married, I can tell you who you're going to marry. You're going to marry somebody that you date. That's who you're going to marry. I don't know who that is, but it will be somebody that you date. And so that tells me dating is important. And so be careful, even when you're dating. I think sometimes we think, well, we're just dating. Now, like, what difference does it make about this or that, about that person? We're just dating. Well, that just dating one day will turn out to be just engaged and just married. And, and so be careful, uh, even about, about that. Another kind of an aside, but, but not really. I want to turn to Genesis chapter 19. 
Who do you trust? Who do you trust in making decisions as important as who you might marry to establish as the foundation of your home? And now we're even having to assume now that you get married, right? And nowadays, um, in Genesis chapter 19, the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah is here. But what I want to think about is when you're looking for that right person, yesterday, last night, we talked about wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Trust Him. But I think sometimes a person says, well, you know, this, this, I think this is about the best I'm going to do for the man or the woman, whichever way. And well, I know he or she is not just maybe what God would want, but almost like time's running out now, I better go ahead and make a decision. Do you trust God to decide things like He would want you to? You think about Lot and his family. You know the story. Lot's wife, she didn't make it. She turned and she looked back. Turned into a pillar of salt. But then we find in uh, Genesis chapter 19 and verse 30, Then Lot went up uh, out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and, and he and his two daughters dwelt in the cave. So here Lot is with his two young daughters. I'm, probably they were teenagers, uh, just given the fact that they had not married, and they married very young uh, in those days. Probably teenagers. Doesn't matter, but that's probably so. But they decided, we don't have anybody. There is not a man living that we'll ever be married to. And, and so let's do this, verse 32. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Can you imagine that? Daughters get their father drunk, and they sleep with him so that they can have a child and preserve his lineage. They didn't wait on the Lord. I don't know what God would have done, but certainly he did not approve their solution. And so they established their home without trusting God. To, to, to bring, if God wanted them to be married, I believe his promise would have provided that. But he certainly didn't want them to go the route of incest. And then the conclusion of that, they, they do both have a male child. And as a result of that, we have the, uh, in verse uh, 37, we have the Moabites. In verse 38, we have the Ammonites, who both turned out to be enemies of God's people. And so they didn't wait on the Lord. They didn't trust the Lord to provide or, or either not provide. They say, well, we just won't have children. Maybe that's, maybe that's the Lord's will as well. Certainly, it was not to do what they did. I want to look at some information now. And, and I want us, what I want us to see, I, you know, I, want, I don't want to dwell on the figures and the statistics, but I want us to see that we need to trust God. His way is the best way. I found this, and I thought it was very interesting. I don't know if you can read this or not. But what this is about is meeting basic expenses much more challenging for single parents. And we look at the world around us, and what we're finding is there are more and more single households. The head of the household is single. When you have a home, whether or not they profess to be Christian, but if it's structured like God would have it be structured, you've got a mom and a dad, a husband and a wife, children. And when that is the case, they are better off. 
They're better off with every measure that, that uh, uh, the Census Bureau typically uh, keeps up with. And so here we have 39% uh, of married people said they were living comfortably. Only 18% of those who were by themselves said they lived comfortably. And, and you could uh, follow it on down to not having enough to meet basic expenses. Here were people said, we just don't have enough even to pay our our very minimum things we need, utilities and, and that, that sort of thing. And so only 9%, or really only 6% of the married couples said they were in that situation, where 19% of the single household that they surveyed said, no, we don't have enough just to, to, to pay our basic necessities. But the point is, God's way is better. Now, who are you, who are you going to trust? when it comes to setting up your home. Sad thing is, what's happening to two-parent homes? They're going down. The chart on the right says, uh, in uh, 1960, 87% of homes were made up of a mom and dad. And now in 2014, only 69% were made up of a mom and dad. And those probably moms and dads, that's not their first marriage. That's another st uh, statistic altogether. Uh, one parent at home has gone from 9% to 26%. Well, the problem also is that feeds on itself. Because what's going to happen is it's going to compound some other problems. If I ask you what's the leading cause of divorce, you probably say money. Right. Money. Arguing about finances. Here, um, it's just a chart. Whoever keeps up with information like this said, when a couple argue about money less than once per month, they're down here on the divorce rate. But if they argue almost every day, they're way on the other end. But the problem, again, is it's, it's like a conundrum. We have money is... It's at the heart of many divorces. Married couples have more money. Well, they have more to argue about. And that creates more divorces and more single-parent homes who now find themselves in financial straits, and so they have even more money problems. And it just kind of feeds on itself. Well, again, God's way. It's not being trusted in many cases, not in every case. Now, there are some single-parent homes that's through no fault of their own, and they're doing the very best they can. But as a rule, that has not been the case. And another problem is, here's a chart that says, now, what if you're a two-parent family? What's the likelihood that your child has gotten themselves arrested, maybe put in jail? Well, if you're a two-parent family, the number's 1%. If you're a single-parent, never-married household, it's 22 times that much. A true story. There was a chaplain at a federal prison, and he said, you know, Mother's Day is approaching. And so I, I, he thought it would be good to let all the inmates send their moms a Mother's Day card. And so he writes to Hallmark, and said and tells what his idea is, and Hallmark sends him 600 uh, Mother's Day cards. There were 600 inmates, and so he makes these available. 
all the inmates pick up a card, send it to their mom. That's great. Father's Day comes along. I'm going to do the same thing, he thought. Walmart again sends him 600 Father's Day cards. Not one card was picked up. Not one. And I thought, well, that's a stretch. Not one. But that's what the story said. And, and the problem is right here. When you, Dad, you, you are important. You are important to the stability of your home in more ways than you may realize. Young men especially need that influence of that father. The daughters need that role model to see how men ought to treat <coughs> their wife. I thought that was a very telling statistic. God's way. Who do you trust? <coughs> you trust God to do it like He said? Well, now let's go a little more, even a little bit more basic than that. What about when we're deciding, we're making our decision, we want to, you know, we, we, I'd like to have my own home. I'm, maybe I'm getting out of college or I'm high school or whatever it is, and you're thinking ahead about your life. Do you trust God when you're choosing your spouse? A lot of times we wonder about people's choices, don't we? We wonder, who are you listening to? And a lot of times I'm thinking, I don't think they're listening to God about this choice that they're making. Again, as I said before, you're going to marry somebody that you date. That, that is just true. And so the same guidelines should apply uh, either way. And so I was trying to do some research about this, and I, and I found a, a list that said, okay, here, here are the top things you should look for in a spouse. And I wonder if I, I'm not going to ask anybody to answer this, but I wonder what yours might be. Well, I'll tell you what. You can be assured they were not spiritually minded in this list. But it's not a bad list. It's not a bad list. One is he's always supportive. And, and then he pays attention to detail. He can make dinner on his own. I don't know why my wife is laughing up here. I can make a sandwich good as anybody. And I did learn how to scramble eggs in a microwave, so I'm, I'm well on my way. But these were the things that they put. These are important things on this list of what do you look for in a, in a spouse, and it looks to me like it's mainly the, the ladies answering this, this particular poll. He is wise. He knows how to cheer you up. He knows how to compromise. He helps out around the house. Your opinion matters to him. He doesn't run from his problems. And, you know, there are a lot of lists, and, and those are okay. Uh, those are things that, that would, would be worthwhile uh, for our quality to have. But you know that a lot of people might say this is what they look for, but this doesn't seem to be what guides their uh, uh, selection, even among worldly people, because it really comes down to what do they look like um, or, and uh, what kind of uh, job do they have and, and uh, more along that line than all of these uh, characteristics that are a little more noble sounding than what often ends up uh, being, being the case. What, do you, what does God say? If you're going to listen to God and, and you want to, uh, in your selection of who to date, then what am I looking for? Who am I looking for? Here's what God says. Just a few of the things that God says. 
look for some look for a godly person first of all and then that kind of helps you know where to look doesn't it you, you won't be looking at a bar you won't be looking at you know various places like that a godly person charm is deceitful and beauty is passing but a woman who fears the Lord she shall be praised but trust God about that about one who is wise well that's also on this list over here but I'm persuaded that the wisdom over here on the world side is a lot different than the wisdom over here on what God would consider to be wise. Isn't it interesting that in Proverbs, when wisdom is personified, wisdom is personified as a woman? Oh, well, that was, was an interesting uh, observation to make. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That is said in chapter 31 of Proverbs about the worthy woman, about that excellent wife. That she has a mouth of wisdom, opens her mouth in wisdom. What kind of husband would a woman be looking for? I'll tell you, that's a pretty good description in Ephesians chapter 5 of what God says. Here's, here's how it ought to be between, between spouses. And this is, I know, a familiar passage to, to most here. A, a whole other subject could be what this passage will talk about is headship, the role of the husband, the role of the wife in the home. But notice the qualities of a husband. And ladies, you know, you can answer within yourself. Now, could I accept the headship, the role of that leadership of this person? This person who will, as we'll read in, in verse uh, 23, it says he's the head. A husband is the head of the wife. And, and then in verse 24, let the wives be, uh, so let the wives be to their own husbands, talking about being in subjection. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Now he's not talking here about, oh, I've got that funny feeling, you know. And my heart just goes, kind of races a little bit. Not talking about that kind of love. That's all well and good. But he's talking about the love that says, I'm going to do what's best for you. I will always have your best interest at heart. And so you're looking for somebody like that to always do what's best for you. But, but notice it goes on to say, as Christ loved the church. Now that's a pretty high standard, isn't it? And gave himself for her. And so would not a wife have a whole lot easier time recognizing the headship of her husband that she knows he would lay down his life for her. He would die for her. He also, as we go on down to uh, verse 28, the husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And then verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And so here you're looking for someone who who would take the lead. I tell you, a lot of husbands won't take the lead. I don't know why, but they just won't uh, take the role that they're supposed to have, and the wife is kind of left with somebody's got to uh, do various things and make different decisions that have to be made. But here's a man who loves his wife, he nourishes her, he cherishes her, lay down his life for her, but also willing to teach the children. I think this is where a lot of husbands fall short. I can step on my own toes. I look back, and I think I should have done more toward teaching my children. Because as we go on in chapter 6, yeah, children, obey your parents and the Lord. This is right. And that's certainly, that, that was the first memory verse I taught my children. 
I thought that was a good one to start with. But then, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That's a father's responsibility. So you're looking for somebody who will fit that role. It's willing to fill that role. And then you're looking for, uh, on the other side, someone who will love and respect her husband. As it says in verse 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Isn't it easier to respect someone who who will love you and cherish you and nourish you and lay down his life for you? I think so. That's God's way. That's what God uh, says is the way husbands and wives ought to be for each other. And so again, a wife then is more willing to submit to her husband's lead and, and to respect him. Another thing about this list over here before we go on is seems very selfish. Seems very self-centered. You know what? Me, 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 all, all the way through it. But I tell you, you're also looking, husbands, you're, you're looking, or maybe husbands-to-be, you're looking for a woman who loves children. If you want to have children, and God blesses you with children, you're looking for someone who loves children. There are some women who don't love children. If that's what you're wanting, you may be in trouble. Or you could be like another lady I encountered uh, in my insurance world days, and this happened also to be in the late 70s. But anyway, I was in this, this home, and um, uh, back then you would go by the same house every month, and you would actually collect the premium and turn it into the company back in the late 70s. So I would see this all the families uh, on a pretty regular basis. Well, this particular time, I heard two children were there, and they, like children do, they just come running through the room, and they're playing, and they're... She looks, and she just kind of looks disgusted, said, that's the worst mistake I ever made. And I wonder, what is she talking about? Having those children. That I never had so much pain in my life. I'd never do that again in a million years. And the children are right there. I was shocked, for one thing. It's one, and, and even if you thought that, why would you say it in front of your children? No, you need to look for somebody who will love their children. As Titus chapter 2 talked about the older women teaching the younger women, among other things, to love your children. Well, that's what God would want for a mother to be, to love her husband, respect her husband, love her children. So, God would say, find someone who is as determined to go to heaven as you are and to help you in your walk with him. Someone who takes God at his word. We read in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, Husbands likewise, joil with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. There is a spiritual connection there. Not like the Mormons teach that somehow you know, you're know, you going to still be married in heaven and you've got to have, have been married in a certain place. And none of that. But you're in it together. You're on a journey together toward heaven. And so whoever it is you select, the world would not think it matters one way or the other, but if you trust God, you're going to find someone who will help you go to heaven. Now that, that ought to be the just the overriding, you might say, litmus test of the relationship. Will we help each other 
go to heaven. I thought about some that, and the choices that they made, and I, I thought about Jacob. You know the story, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Well, Abraham, when it came time to find a wife for Isaac, Abraham got his servant to go back home, you might say, for Abraham, uh, at least part of the way back home. Uh, anyway, he goes up and he goes to Bethuel's family and he says, you know, don't find my son a wife and just anywhere. You go there. Well, now the servant is wondering, how am I going to do this? And Abraham says, look, if you find somebody and they won't come back with you, you're free from this oath I'm, I'm going to place you under. And so the servant then asks God for help and says to God, if these things happen and the woman that I see, she says certain things, and that's going to be the one. The point is they went to God, wanted God to, to give some direction, some guidance, some providence in this, and that's what happened. So Isaac ends up with Rebekah. Well, now Jacob comes along, and Jacob no, it's on the run from Esau. So he ends up back in the same area with, with their family. But what we notice in the story is Jacob made his own choice. And I'll tell you what he chose and what he based it on. She looked good. Now, Rachel, Rachel looked good. It's, in fact, uh, it says Leah's eyes were tender. And your version may say they were weak. But Rachel... Rachel had a lovely figure and beautiful appearance. Is that not how so many uh, people are chosen today? They just look good. No, we don't have uh, don't have any record that Jacob talked to God about this at all. He just saw Rachel. I like her. I think we can make this argument that God had a different choice for Jacob. You think about it. Leah, Rachel's sister, I think we could argue that she was God's choice. First of all, she was the firstborn, and, and Laban was right. That's generally what they would do. Now, he was very deceitful. He didn't do right either, as you know the story. But she was the firstborn, and traditionally, she would have been the one to marry first. But think about how God blessed Leah. First of all, he blesses her with more children than Rachel because... She wasn't loved. Rachel was. Jacob showed favoritism. But also think about this. Jesus came through Leah the from the tribe of Judah. Even the Levites, the priestly tribe, came through Leah. And then also we find that when it came time to be buried, Rachel wasn't buried in the family plot, but Leah was. So I think we can make the argument. But my, the point really is that that Jacob has we give we have no record that he talked to God about this at all. He just said, I like her. Oh, she's pretty. That's the one I want. And he was in love with her. And which is good to be in love in that sense of the word. Something else Rachel did, she was also the one that stole her father's idols. When they they fled from Laban on the run, trying Jacob wanted to get everybody back home, back to his home. So who was it that stole the idols, hit them, and she sat on them, claimed that you know it was uh, she was in the way of the of a woman and she couldn't get up to rise before her father. But it was Rachel that did that. 
And so do we trust God with our choice of who we're going to marry? The world would say you look for these things. God says, no, here's who you need. Trust God. What about our children? Do we trust God with our children? We have a lot of things pulling at us. A, a lot of uh, experts saying, here's how you want to raise your child. Here is the best way to do that. And then you have a lot of people say, uh, a lot of single mothers say, I don't need a man. I don't need a husband. And, and so you hear a lot of that being said. So the world will say things like, like that, and, but God says something very different. The world might say, for instance, as crazy as it sounds, let your child determine his or, his or her own gender identity. Can you imagine a little six, seven-year-old going to decide if they're a boy or a girl? Why don't let them make important decisions in that at age six or seven or whatever it might happen to be. Imagine how confused we're making our children. And yet God says, let me tell you, let me tell you how I created people. God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God created that child a male. God created this other child a female. That's what they are. But the world says, oh, no. You need to let them make up their own mind about that. And then we, we are forced with more and more government uh, saying, here's what you need to teach your children. Here, here's the core <coughs> curriculum, and here are the things they just really have to know. And they also emphasize everything about school comes first, as if that is the excuse to miss anything else. If it's school-related, that comes first. And so what are we finding? More and more things on Wednesday night, on Sunday, to do with sports. And I, I thought about that. I, I, I remember one night when I was in uh, South Alabama. It was Wednesday night, there in Bible class, and all of a sudden we hear all that. Oh, the uh, Babe Ruth World Series started tonight. Andalusia was hosting the World Series. They started on a Wednesday night. And I think, you know, parents could stop that. If the parents would simply have said, my child won't, and if enough parents did that, you know what? They would not schedule things on Wednesday night or on Sunday, but the parents, that's what they do. They support it. God has a very different idea. In fact, God gave the responsibility of education to parents. As we read already in Ephesians chapter 6, first verse, children, obey your parents. The fourth verse, fathers, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The world says to the woman who's expecting, you just decide. If you want to keep this baby, that's okay. If not, have an abortion. And they get very much up in arms if you do anything to restrict that right to have that abortion. And yet God says in Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. It's not a punishment. It's not some kind of a sentence. It's not something as some type of birth control as many women use it to be. But no, that, that precious baby that's growing there is a heritage from the Lord. It's a reward from the Lord himself. The world sees it very different. On the issue of, of discipline, the world would say, oh, no, never spank your child. Don't do that. Well, who do you trust about that? God says in Proverbs 13, 24, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. I appreciate Brother Tom mentioning children uh, in the prayer tonight. 
And so we should look at what, what the world says. The world would say, uh, people who were, who were um, surveyed, to say, now here's how we discipline our children. Some would just talk to them about why that's not the right behavior. Some would take away privileges. Some would give a time out. By the way, I, I'm, I haven't given this sermon yet with my mom there, but I'm going, when I get to this, I'm say, Mom, why didn't we have a timeout? Uh, raising their voice or yelling, some, but you can see that it gets smaller, and a very small number would say, well, sometimes a spanking is involved. But the world would say, oh, no, don't, don't, don't ever do that. Well, who are you going to trust about that? The Bible would agree with most of these ways, by the way, of, of discipline. Discipline just inherent in the word discipline is disciple. It's, it's a learning process. It doesn't mean a spanking all the time. It doesn't mean any of the others all the time. It means what's appropriate uh, for for the uh, for the situation. Now, one thing the Bible does not say anything about is raising the voice or yelling. Uh, you just it's just not there. But it does say a lot about the last one. Now, it doesn't say it has to be your first choice, and I don't think it ought to be the first choice. But it needs to be an option that hasn't been removed because the world says, oh, no, that's just the worst thing that, that you could do. God says, no, sometimes it's necessary. Who do you trust? You're going to trust what God says or what the world says? Here are some other things. I just thought this was interesting. When you talk to parents, most parents have the same basic goals. What is it you want for your child? And so when, when they're thinking kind of big picture, and they're thinking about their children, they say, well, you know what I really want? I want my, my, my child to be honest and ethical. And then it kind of goes down the scale of importance, or the most answered anyway. Caring and compassionate, then hardworking, and then it doesn't get to money until the next to the last, financially independent, ambitious. But a majority of the parents listed first the, the more things to do with character, honest and ethical and caring and compassionate. And, and those are good things. Those are good things. But the, but the question, I think, who decides how you do that? Who, who decides how to ensure that a child is honest and ethical, caring and compassionate, hardworking. I think most parents want the same outcome. But our question is, who do you trust to get there? Who is it that we listen to? Again, we listen to Dr. Spock, or we listen to the latest guru on raising children, or do we go back to our God who made us and trust Him? The psalmist said in Psalm 31 and verse 14, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. And surely as Christians, that would be our focus, that we trust God. Now this verse is not talking about parents and children. It's talking about the Lord. But it sure fits. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 13, And again I will put my trust in Him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Again, the context is talking about the Lord. But isn't that a great a great uh, sentiment and statement of faith that a parent can make about his children. I'll put my trust in him. And again, here am I 
and the children whom God has given me. What an awesome responsibility we have as parents. So let's just say it all comes down to trust. And all these areas and aspects of life that we've talked about, and there are many others, who do you trust? Do you trust God? The Lord said in John 14, He said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Some of the versions say, Trust in God. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. He is the one we need to listen to. comes down to trust. Trust is rooted in faith. And faith is established by God's Word. And so as, as we make all of our decisions in life, it really comes down to that. Who are we going to listen to? We've got God on one side. We've got the world on the other. And so is God at the heart of your home? Is he trusted? One, one passage in... Uh, well, I forgot to write the verse down. Or I got the verse. Matthew. But Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And so is, is the Father and the Son, are they at home in your home? And I wonder, would we be comfortable with, other than the awesomeness, now, if God, the Father and the Son were there, would we be comfortable thinking, uh-oh, I don't know if I need to watch that. Don't need, don't think I need to say that maybe this time or maybe let the kids you know, do this other activity you know, if, if they were right there. How comfortable are we if God literally, physically had made their, their abode with us as this verse spiritually talks about? We will come to him and make our home with him. What a great thing. To have our homes in harmony with what God would have us to, to be. This picture is on the wall at our house. I just took, took this uh, snapshot. I hope all of us can say and live this sentiment, and we sure don't do it perfectly, but this is our goal. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But it's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. That's in Joshua 24 and verse 15. What a lofty goal. But, but, but what confidence we can have in our Creator that we make our decisions in our home based on what He tells us, not what mom and dad, grandparents, people at work, school, employer, any other place you can think of. No, we, we trust God. We believe in Him. Trust God with your home. Let's take our song books now and turn to the number that has been selected. <clears throat> I wonder sometimes if people don't trust God and, and what they do to be saved. Uh, something as fundamental as that. What do I do to be saved? It seems that they'll listen to most everybody else but what God so plainly has said in His Word. Well, just trust God. That This is what you do. And so Jesus would say, well, the one who believes and is baptized will be saved. If you don't believe, you'll be lost. You can trust God about that. Peter would say to those who asked that question in Acts 2, verse 38, will you repent? And every one of them 
be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You can trust God that when you go under that water, having believed and confessed your faith in Christ and you're willing to repent of your sins, you can trust God that really those sins were washed away. That takes faith. Colossians 2 verse 12 talks about having faith in the working of God when we are buried with Him in baptism. Trust Him. You are now cleansed of your sins and you have been united at, at, uh, as, uh, with Christ and added to His church. Wonderful things have happened. Trust Him about that. But also trust Him that when, and we'll talk more about this tomorrow night, but trust Him when the world says, you know, once you're saved, don't worry about it. You're always saved. Don't listen to man. You listen to God who says to the Christian, if you have sinned and that needs to be repented of, it always needs to be repented of, but if it needs to be in the public, well, you confess your faults one to another. You pray one for another. And individually, you repent and you ask God to forgive you. Perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven. And then you can trust God that that happened. Trust Him. Tonight there might be one here that we can help be, to be ready to meet the Lord. If so, let it be known while we're standing singing.